0: listening to the Oily Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 319, and we're at the SPE Electric Submersible Pump Symposium. So, a big thanks to Magni Grandi for sponsoring this event.
0: And you know, Paige, what? they've taken such good care of us. They've wined us, they've dined us, we have this really cool they've table. Got, they've
1: right
0: vodka me. They've you, right <laughs> smack in the middle of everything. <laughs> Um, and
1: Elena's here with us, too.
0: Yep. Yep. What's going on this week? We have Jordan.
1: Jordan Driscoll is in Abu, Abu Dhabi, Dhabi, Dhabi at Atepec. Atepec. And then Delfina Govia is in Arizona.
0: Arizona at the Gas Compression Conference. Gas Compression Conference. And we're here at the And SPM. then a bunch of
1: our people will be at ATCE next week.
0: That's right. So OGG is all over the place. And if you're listening out there and you don't know who we are, shame on you. This is the largest oil and gas podcast Maybe they the just planet. don't know what a
1: podcast is, Mark. That
0: could be that, too. But... We actually don't have a review, which is weird. If you want to leave us a review, it's really simple. In the show notes, you go click on the link. Or if you want to try to remember it, lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW. Let's get in the news stories.
1: All right. First up, we're just going to nip it in the bud. Biden administration plans zero offshore oil and gas lease sales for 2024.
0: So if you look at the last five years and you look forward to 2024, including the last five years, that will means there's only been three lease sales. beginning all the way to 2025. Now, only five lease sales is coming from an administration who tells the public that they're doing everything they can to help the consumers at the pump, and they're not in any way hindering the American oil and gas industry. Obviously, our current administration is saying one thing and doing something else. Now, one of the interesting things, we talked about this last week, is that they've connected the offshore wind industry leases to the offshore hydrocarbon leases. And those two things should not be connected, nor are they connected. This is the lowest number of oil and gas leases sale in the history of the U.S. Yeah. And at the same time, if you look at what happened with the offshore wind leases, they have a whopping number of one company's <laughs> bid. And that one company has no intention of actually building offshore wind. They're actually trying to flip it and make some money off the inflation reduction app. So this is just a ridiculous time, ridiculous thing for our current administration to do. And I remember, Paige, this is literally days after the API Chevron in the state of Louisiana filed a lawsuit in exactly with the federal government in that reduction of acreage. Of course. So at the same time, they're also aggravating a lot of their environmental anti-oil and gas groups because they say one lease is way too many. We shouldn't have any leases. So our current administration headed to the election cycle really doesn't know what to do with themselves. This isn't helping anybody. And actually, when you manage to piss off the oil and gas industry and the offshore wind industry at the same time.
1: (laughs) Double whammy.
0: Maybe you should pick a vocation other than politics.
1: (laughs) Oh, Speaking of wind, Texas regulator opposes Biden's plan for offshore wind farms in the Gulf of Mexico.
0: Yeah. And we talked about this last show. This is our railroad commissioner, Wayne Christian. Send a letter to Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the Land Commissioner Don Buckingham, basically opposing his installation of offshore wind farms in the Gulf of Mexico after our current administration announced plans to auction off more than 300,000 acres for wind energy. Now, those 300,000 acres, like I said earlier, secured one bid, and that company is not going to actually develop a wind farm. It is actually trying to flip that bid. Now, I said this before and I'll say it again. I actually disagree with Wayne Christensen. I disagree. with
1: I do too, just on many other things.
0: Yeah, but- I-, I disagree with anybody that doesn't want to bring offshore wind to the Gulf of Mexico. Number one, I love the idea of offshore wind powering both drilling and production platforms, and we actually can make that work. Number two, a lot of the engineering, procurement, construction that it takes to build an offshore wind platform is identical, using the same companies and the same suppliers to build offshore production platforms. And so, if our current a railroad commissioners say that he's against this, here's a quote from funding his green energy fantasies with the passions of the largest climate bill in history to unrelated barrage of bureaucratic rules from his agenda. Biden has kept his campaign promises transition America away from fossil fuels. Like I said, I 100% love the idea of having an offshore wind. However, I want the field to be leveled, right? And I want that offshore wind power it needs to, be fair. to be subsidized and let us the free market take care of it. So unfortunately, Wayne Christian, I disagree with you. I do agree with you, though, that our current administration isn't doing anything it can to help the American oil industry. But more to come on that.
1: All right, next article is U.S. oil production approaches record as Permian output
0: reaches all-time high. Everybody in this room that's involved with ESPs, (laughs) pat yourself on the back. I just learned today that about 85% of all wells that are ever drilled require artificial lift of some part, and ESP plays a huge part in that. The number here is incredible. Now, remember, this is just the Permian Basin, which is uh, the unconventional output They're up to 12.9 million barrels a day. Let me put that in perspective. We burn 20 million barrels a day in this country. The Permian is producing 12 million barrels. (laughs) That is amazing. I believe the Middle East only does about 22 million barrels. So the Permian is chasing down the production of the entire group of OPEC. I love this. (laughs) Absolutely love this. Now – The amazing thing about this output is that operators are not drilling new freaking wells. I'm sorry. (laughs) They're eating up the inventory of drilled but uncompleted wells. As everybody knows, the number of rigs has declined pretty dramatically. Since the beginning of this year, we'll get to rig count toward the end of the podcast. It's
1: it's not Um, looking great. But the fact
0: that the rig count's going down and the Permian production's at 12.9 million barrels a day when the U.S. consumes 20 million barrels a day is a credit to the U.S. oil and gas industry. And all the workers out there in the middle of nowhere getting stuff done. So I love seeing this. We need more of it.
1: All right. So next up is LSU research team pursues orphan wells to reduce methane leaks in Louisiana.
0: So one of the things about methane that a lot of people don't understand is methane is naturally produced in the decomposition of organic material. Right. And when you think of a swamp, what is a swamp? A natural decomposition of organic <laughs> yeah, material. That's all it right? is. Methane is produced by decomposition. You see it in landfills, but you see it a lot in swamps. In fact, you know, Paige and I are both from Louisiana. Have you heard of swamp gas? Yeah. Yeah. Swamp gas is real. That's methane. <laughs> right? And there's all kinds of stories around that. So, the problem with trying to track down orphan wells that are leaking methane in Louisiana is the fact that they're leaking methane in an environment that naturally produces methane. So, they actually have to go to the individual wells. They can't use any type of drone technology or satellite technology because the natural methane produced by the swamps of Louisiana would overwhelm it. So what they're doing, LSU got a grant from the federal government. They also had some money internally, and their Department of Oceanography and Coastal Sciences are leading this program where they actually go out to the abandoned wells, and they target, and they sample from the well themselves. Now, one of the problems with that is that a lot of wells are on private property. Right. right? And one of the places in the U.S. that you don't want to trespass on private property without permission is- You
1: will get shot. Louisiana.
0: (laughs) So what's really cool is the landowners are working hand in hand. There's a grassroots movement going on with the private landowners that own these wells because they themselves want to know if the wells are leaking methane. And actually, so far, it's actually pretty good. So the 800 wells that they've measured, only 180 had leaks. Well, that's not that's bad. It's not a huge number considered that some of these wells have been there for 100 years.
1: Right, yeah. That was my concern.
0: Yeah. And so now they're able to narrow their focus on the wells that are leaking and spend the money and the time to properly plug and abandon those wells and not go to the wells that are not leaking. I think this is a great use of our limited resources. I think this is a great use of grant money. It's also a great exercise for our young people at LSU. They're trying to figure out a way to solve this difficult problem, which is measuring methane emissions (laughs) from wells in the swamp that have natural (laughs) methane emissions. Now this is going to be a big helpful thing for the people of Louisiana It's not going to immediately reduce the methane emissions from these wells, but given time, these orphan well emissions will be decreased, which will then be good for the environment, be good for the operator, good for the local communities. And at some point, once they get these wells taken care of and they perfect this technology, they'll be able to take the same technology and use it in other parts of the U.S. and the world where wells leaking methane in a natural environment of methane, they're able to identify them and plug it abandon properly. So I love this.
1: Good. Good deal. Okay, so high times and tight markets for jackup industry. So
0: if anybody has a jackup rig sitting in their backyard, (laughs) you make a lot of money right now. There's a bigger demand for jackups than there are jackups. Jackups are being built like crazy trying to keep up with this demand, but you can't build them overnight. A lot of the jackup rigs are in places of the world that are locked down that you wouldn't think around Italy, around the Middle East. China, Southeast Asia, and even Mexico. And the demand rate is extremely high for these jackup rigs with the day rates going up. So where in 2023, the mean price day rate for these jack-ups is $106,000. Now they're getting 160 dollars to $200,000, which is great for the owners of the jackup rigs. So like I said, if you have one in your backyard, there's money to be made. Now, back when everything was starting to come back online in 2022, the day rate was only $84,000. Goes go from the 84000 a day rate to $200,000 in a couple of years is absolutely phenomenal. Now, some of the smaller jackup markets like the Gulf of Mexico and South America are suffering because, quite frankly, they can't get jackups. And the contract durations for these jackups has remained very high. So now these jackups are being locked up contractually for 624 days on average.
1: Wow. Right? That's and if pretty you wild, laugh,
0: That's just about two years. Yeah. Whereas before, they were being locked up for 90 to 120 days. Wow. So this is just great for the jackup market. Eventually, the supply of jackups will meet the market demand. And I think that is going to happen right when we start drilling again, about 2026 or 2027. So once again, if you own a jackup, you're banking right now. And if you need a jackup, sorry, you can't get one.
1: Nice. That's great news. So the next one is... How petroleum engineering can help explain the mysteries of Mars fractures. I thought this was really cool and right up your alley with all your Space Force shirts and stuff.
0: It is right up my alley. (laughs) Now, a couple of things. We've all seen the high-definition pictures and videos from the, uh, the different rovers on Mars, right? Right. During those pictures and videos, there's an actual fractures of the ROP. And this petroleum engineer saw these fractures and go, hey, that looks awfully familiar. That looks like natural fractures that we have here so this is mida maraki and he created an opportunity to use his expertise in earth science that he learned from the oil and gas industry to basically help researchers explore another world which is mars guess where he is where university of louisiana lafayette
1: (laughs) he's at ul
0: And the reason I say that is (laughs) I graduated there, but it was a different name. Yeah, it was USL then. It was USL. They changed the name of the university so now my diploma They've changed
1: it like like, three times. Yeah.
0: But still, this guy who's basically a rock nerd, and expert, he also is a space nerd as well, saw that the Curiosity's rover missions and all the images of fractured rocks they sent back, he goes, look, there's dips and wings in these fracks that I see all the time when I'm doing oil and gas work. Let me tell you something interesting about this. A lot of those dips and fracks on Earth are caused by water. They're most probably caused on Mars by water as well, but ancient water, right? Oh, oh it gets better. The hydrocarbons we have here on Earth are organic. They were right. made through a process that starts with photosynthesis in our world's ocean single cell animals and plankton that eventually turns into hydrocarbons. The only place we know that's done in the right volume is here on the Earth with water. If Mars in its past... Had liquid water, which a lot of experts, include myself, think so, and which these fracks look like they did. There may be hydrocarbons on Mars that are organic. Now, here's where it gets crazy: hydrocarbons are extremely common. So we tend to think about organic hydrocarbons. You gotta remember, hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, and carbon, I believe, is the fourth most abundant element in the universe. And when hydrogen and carbon run into each other, they form a hydrocarbon. So space is full of inorganic hydrocarbons. So the only reason I bring all that up is that if we have a source of hydrocarbons on another planet, guess what that is? Fuel. That's fuel to refuel spacecraft. So instead of sending people to Mars and telling them, sorry, you got to make it work because you got to stay there, there's a very strong possibility that there's hydrocarbons on Mars, either organic or inorganic, that they could then process and turn into fuel if they decided they wanted to come back home. Wow. Or just go jet around our solar system for a <laughs> while. So I love the fact that. A petroleum engineer at US – not USL, but Louisiana, whatever the UL university is. UL. It's called UL. L, saw these fracks, recognized them, is now doing work with NASA. Now, here's the cool part from the NASA side. NASA's going, oh, my God, can we make money?
1: <laughs> of course, that's the first thing no, they but, go to. With, but, but yeah, no, I get it. So, yeah. for
0: the commercialization of space – the biggest thing is we have to figure out a way to make a profit. It is unbelievably expensive to get a pound of anything out of Earth's gravity well and into orbit or outside of orbit. If we can figure out a way to make a profit, you're going to see space exploration take off because now it doesn't have to be paid for by taxpayers. It can be paid for by businesses. So Fair. A whole bunch of work going on here. One of the things is we need to get some of these rock samples back here on Earth intact so that our scientists could do more research on these rock samples, but- Based upon the visuals that a lot of geologists and petroleum engineers have looked at, it looks like there's natural fractures in the rock on Mars that mimic a lot of stuff here on Earth, which in the long run is just going to be a really cool thing if they discover hydrocarbons on Mars.
1: All right. I'm glad you got to nerd out a little bit. (laughs) All right. This is going to be the latter, I believe. India increases windfall tax on petroleum crude, reduces tax on aviation, turbine fuel, and diesel.
0: Who wrote this article? <laughs> Hydrocarbon processing. Yes. Okay. I don't know. It just bugs. They put petroleum in front of the word crude. It's just crude. But I guess they're trying to be descriptive. I know. It's, anyway, it's kind of wonky. So they've increased the tax on crude oil. They've reduced the windfall tax on aviation fuel and diesel. That's to help get the business travel and business logistics back up and moving in India. It's really interesting. Here and in Europe and India – a lot of personal, or think about vacation travel, has taken off. So the airplanes are full of people having fun. They're not full of business travelers. Not yet. That hasn't rebounded. Uh-huh. So India is doing this to try to help rebound the business travel market. Same way diesel is trying to rebound their logistics market. So on September 16th, the government of India raised the windfall tax on crude to 10,000 rupees, which I have no idea how much it's I, yeah, I don't have a... twenty dollars U.S., I think. Roughly. I have no idea. And so since they raised... <laughs> tax on crude oil, it's really restrained how much product their refineries are producing because their costs of the raw feedstock has went up. However, by reducing the taxes on aviation fuel and diesel, they're hoping that more air travel takes place. Let's see what happens. With this. I don't like windfall taxes on anything. The so yeah, windfall tax is basically the government saying, you made too much money, we're going to take some of it just No, because. that's exactly what it is. And especially on our industry, if you're going to take money from us when we make a lot of money. You need to give us money when we lose money. And for the last 10 years, and especially during the pandemic, we lost billions and billions of dollars. And it's not fair to tax us when we're trying to recoup all those losses. So let's hope these windfall taxes go away.
1: All right. Having a hard time hearing you.
0: That means we can say anything we want. <laughs> right?
1: Having a hard time hearing you because people are yelling right in front of me. All right. Bulgarian energy workers escalate protests over green transition.
0: (laughs) We're going to have to shout for Bolivia. Bulgaria, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm being petty. That's all.
0: Anyway, so the the coal workers in Bulgaria are really upset because the government is shutting down the actual coal mines in preparation for their green transition, air quotes. Now, of course, the Bulgarian miners are upset because they're going to lose their jobs soon. Yeah. Although the way the government's set up over there, they'll be paid for quite a while. But at some point, they will lose their income, have to find other jobs, other way to make money. Their prime minister declined to meet with them. They said if the prime minister doesn't meet with them, they are go on strike, which they're doing. They actually blocked a lot of roads. They blocked a lot of the existing infrastructure that ships that coal out of the mines.
1: That sounds like somebody I know. Yeah, I'm just saying.
0: (laughs) And the local union, who really just wants somebody to listen to them, literally are not having anybody that's siding with them. So unfortunately, what's going to end up happening is that Bulgaria is still not in a place yet to replace the coal-fired electrical plants with anything else. They can't replace it with nuclear. They have not built the... Import facilities and the regasification replacement with natural gas, which would be the easiest fix. Pretty simple to retrofit a coal-fired power plant to natural gas. They're going to put in a bunch of solar and wind. Like, fortunately, up in Bulgaria, you don't get a lot of sun. Not sure if y'all thought this all the way through. So what's going to happen, unfortunately, <laughs> is you can see energy prices go through the roof in this part of the world. The government's gonna blame it on anything other than them cutting down the coal plants totally get that you may not want to burn coal forever, that you'd have some type of phased reduction in coal. You can't just switch over. No, you can't. It's got a
1: phase.
0: Also, there's clean burn coal technology, which I know is expensive. I think if the government would probably pull its head out of the sand and look around and see what's going on in the rest of the world as politicians try to move the world to renewables too quickly, maybe they would stop for a second and look at natural gas. At this point, they're not. The government basically told the miners, take what we're offering you and leave, because in the future, you're not going to have a job. So this is just kind of a mess. But I get the angst that the Bulgarian coal miners are feeling. Wish we could do more to help. Let's hope that there's an election coming up soon. I don't know their election cycle, but let's hope that they get some of the current administration out of there, and maybe there could be a phased approach to phasing out coal that allows the workers to be retrained and do something with you know that's productive for their country.
1: Yeah, and even if you knew, you'd probably be wrong about when the elections are. Somebody would write in and be like, "No, incorrect, Mark." All right. OPEC's oil production grows for a second month despite Saudi cut.
0: So, this is I've talked about this for years that OPEC is a cartel, and the power of a cartel is its ability for its members to agree upon everything, and when the members disagree and don't follow the cartel's guidelines or rules, the cartel loses its power. So, OPEC is cutting production. They say they're doing that to keep prices high. Quite frankly, if I look at OPEC as a whole, I'm not real confident they could increase production much more than they're doing anyway. However, Nigeria upped its production to 110,000 barrels per day. Iran's output, I believe, is the highest it's been since 2016, 2017. Saudi Arabia is maintaining 9 million barrels per day. So, this 1 million barrel per day cut earlier... That Saudi Arabia talked about, I think it's probably going to be extended further only because some of the OPEC nations are kind of going rogue and they're doing it because they want to make money while price falling. All right, is high. yeah. Now, remember I talked about earlier that in the US we burn 20 million barrels a day and our champions and heroes of the Permian are at 12.9? Yeah. OPEC's only 120,000 barrels per day. <laughs> <laughs> so the US production is robust and it's strong. And remember, we're hitting these production numbers here in the U.S. while our hands are tied behind our back, our feet are tied together, and we're blindfolded by yeah. policies. If we can get our government out of our way, we could easily help control the market. It is interesting that Iran is exempted from OPEC cuts, and they saw the second largest increase in output, which means they're making money while they can. The head of the nationalized Iranian oil company said there's are planning to boost oil production by another 3.5 million barrels a day. Bottom line is, the price of crude in the world is going to continue to go up. Nobody's drilling. We'll talk about that on my predictions later. And it's going to be an interesting time. 2024, I believe the first quarter of 2024, will hit $100 a barrel. And Paige, I don't see any relief coming at any time yeah, soon. Yeah, I thought
1: you said like last episode, it was going up to about $150. I think
0: we'll hit $150 by the end of next year. And yeah. I think it's going to stay there for a while. So let's see what happens with this. Like I said, the problem with OPEC is they say one thing, and you got to figure out what the actual reality yeah. is. And like I said, these rogue nations kind of ruined the power of the cartel, which is not a bad thing.
1: Yeah. All right. So Russia plans near zero diesel exports next month after ban.
0: Yeah. Here's Russia. <laughs> process hydrocarbons as a weapon, which they're really, really good at. We're still in a diesel shortage in the world. We've been in a diesel shortage since the pandemic. Supply has never caught up with demand. Interesting thing. The two biggest costs for farmers are fertilizer, fertilizer. and diesel. Yeah. Both of them, prices are going Ooh, through the roof. So that's it's not affecting the world's food costs today. Yep. Exactly. Because there's a food cycle at about nine months between the time farmers plant and they harvest, and those, whatever they harvest hits the market. But I promise you, the world's food costs will go up. Partly because of Russia killing diesel exports. And those killing diesel exports are a bigger problem in the lack of diesel in the world, which, like I said, is one of the bigger costs for farmers. Now, this loss of Russian diesel supply is going to further strengthen this diesel market that is running so tight right now. So there's going to be a lot of fortunes made in diesel by companies and individuals that are able to secure it, able to store it, able to get it to market quicker or cheaper than others. Russia is one of the top exporters of diesel. And if you've been to Europe anytime in the last 10 years, you know that a lot of their, not just their commercial fleet, but their personal fleet runs on diesel. Here in the U.S., we're still a gasoline-centered, especially personal vehicles. But this is also going to affect things like construction. So now, one of the things I'm a little curious about is how aggressively will Russia enforce its diesel ban? Russia tends to announce sanctions or cuts, and then Russian companies tend not to listen right? Because they need to make money. Right. So we'll see what happens here. But I'll tell you this much, just on the announcement of these cuts, so before the actual cuts could affect the market, just on the perception, when this announcement was made by Russia, European diesel prices futures jumped over $1,012 a metric ton compared to $17. So they went from $1,012 to metric ton from $17 just on the perception of these diesel cuts. The other thing about russia is they only have a couple of ports that are open all year long to export diesel so this is going to be a mess for the countries that depend on diesel from russia like china and india and even europe luckily here in the u.s even though we're still in a diesel shortage our refiners have the ability to manufacture as much diesel as we need to use actually they can manufacture more we can export it but there's no way the u.s can manufacture and export enough diesel to fill this loss that the russian band is going to make so, you know, fingers crossed that something happens here. If not, not only will food prices go up, but almost everything will go up. Because think of anything that you buy is probably moved logistically involving diesel, diesel truck, diesel locomotive, whatever. So let's keep an eye on this.
1: All right. Final one. South Africa allows Total Energies to drill for offshore oil and gas.
0: So basically, South Africa has dismissed an appeal against Total Energies basically allowing the super Maser to explore in a block off the southwest coast of South Africa. Total has been looking to explore there for a long time. They've actually made some major discoveries close to that area, especially around Cape Town, and they want to do about five offshore wells on this block just to see what the production numbers look like. However, lobby groups, <laughs> always. <laughs> it's always lobby groups. Appeal to South African Department of Mineral Resources Energy to actually block this group citing the environmental concerns that Total was going to basically wreck the marine environment there, which is not true. We all know that. Total actually came back. They went to court. They provided all the necessary permitting process reviews so that the South African court basically dismissed the injunction. Now... This discovery, if they actually go in production, mm-hmm. is going to be one of those large discoveries that be similar to one of those large discoveries that they've already made in that same era. Same way Shell's made a couple large discoveries off of the coast of Namibia. So this is a very light oil. This light oil is something that the refineries in Africa really like because it's much easier to refine. You basically just boil it. So it's good for the people in Africa. It's good for their shareholders of Total. And honestly, environmentalists, it's good for you too, because a portion of the money that Total is going to earn tapping in these hydrocarbons actually goes back to the African Department of Mineral Resources to fund environmental remediation. Mm, so yeah. you know, once again, our industry is forefront with their the care and of the environment and the local communities we operate in. It's just a shame people want to take us to court for anything and everything. All right. Well, that's it. That's it. It's not really it. So what you need to do if you're listening is sign up for our, one of our two newsletters or sign up for both. I was telling you this earlier, Paige, our Sunday update has passed up all expectations in five weeks. We went from zero subscribers to 20,000 subscribers.
1: Nice. We're now
0: publishing recipes from the oil field, a bunch of discount Now coupons, you know a bunch of
1: my personal information.
0: All kinds of cool <laughs> stuff. The links in the show notes take 30 seconds to sign up. Same way we have an oil and gas events newsletter. If you're in sales and marketing especially, and you'd like to list of all the oil and gas conferences that are going on, like this one we're at right exactly. now, sign up for it. It's free. We stick in your inbox once a month. Drum roll. Weekly rig count.
1: Oh, God. It's not great. United States is at 623, so we're down seven. Canada is up one at 191. Internationally, we're down nine at
0: 952. Going the opposite direction that it should be going. Much yep. more to come on that around November. Speaking yep. of much more, go sign up for our LinkedIn page. Go follow us where we announce everything that's going on. We've launched a merchandise store, people. And we have some pretty pro oil and gas merch out there. Yeah, we, we sure do. Much and it's more
1: selling like hotcakes, Mark. Crazy. I keep getting emails. Of all the orders that keep going out.
0: Yeah. So if you work in the industry, if you're proud that you work in the oil and gas industry, go hit OGGN.com, hit merch, find your shirt to show off the fact that you're proud. Pretty soon we're going to have children's shirts, right? Yep. So one of our designs is oil-filled princess. How cute would that look on your little girl?
1: Actually, just anything, make it into a onesie. Just make <laughs> all of the our shirts that we have into onesies golden. Yeah.
0: All right. So go check it out. Also go follow our LinkedIn page. First Friday Q&A, you know the drill. You send a question. If we use your question on the air, you get a big shout out. Remember the goal is not to stump Paige and I, but just educate our audiences. Go to both oilandgasthisweek.com or OGG, and both of them have places. Also, you can hit us up on social. Happy to take questions from any social platform other than Facebook Messenger. And Uh, don't send videos. I'm ready to go grab another drink. Yep. You ready to do this? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.